sitting on the bus, begging my lap, minding my business. And in comes Jared, the scary 10th grader with a gross goatee. He sat down in the seat beside me and waited until the bus moved to actually forcefully steal my lunch money. Being six years younger, I fought for a few seconds, but then I gave in. I was already having a bad day, so that kind of plays into it. My sister noticed the commotion from the back and came up at the speed of light to beat this kid across the face. All that happened after was a blur, but later that night, I asked my sister why, and the only thing she told me was, because I wouldn't want to be in that position alone. I'm Jason. I like fall, long naps, and showing up late to class. I'm Joella, and I like anything hot pink, cheesy mashed potatoes, and pretending just dance counts as my 30 minutes of exercise per day. I'm Austin, and I like long runs, chider, and catching frogs. Welcome to Modern Story Podcast, episode number... Today, we're telling stories about how minds can change based on circumstance. Austin, I really liked your story because it really shows like how much, how many like small lessons we can learn at a younger age that we don't actually realize until we're older. Mm-hmm, definitely, like yeah. being fourth grade, I didn't realize what that really meant until right. later on. Also, like I love that your sister had your back. Siblings, awesome. she, she's feisty. I'm very grateful <laughs> for her. It's super good. All right, are we ready? Let's get started with Jason and his story called, I Pray, Therefore I Change. The third night after camp changed my life. I stood at the altar like I had been hundreds of times before. My arms were raised. I I was listening to the piano create soft sounds since there was no vocals, and I was waiting for something, but I wasn't quite sure what I was waiting for. Maybe a word from God, a friend to come up and pray for me, or the courage to go pray for a friend. I really didn't know. Then a thought popped into my head. Go pray for Mason. That thought was so simple yet so scary. Mason was a sixth grader that I barely knew. I had nothing to be afraid of, but social anxiety isn't really something you can just ignore. I was frozen, unable to act, like I had been hundreds of times before. I had just graduated at the time, and I was still worried about what a sixth grader would think of me. Conflicting thoughts were running through my head. I probably should, but I don't need to. It wouldn't hurt, but I don't know what I'll say. I really did want to go pray for this kid, but I was scared. I decided to pray for courage over myself in that moment. As I was trying to justify why why I shouldn't go pray for Mason, one of the counselors, Keith, who I hadn't met at the time, came up behind me laid his hands on me, and started praying over me. You have such a heart for other people, he said. There's a flame inside of you that is just starting to grow. God is giving you confidence. He is giving you courage, and he has been preparing you, and he knows that you are strong and capable. I was shocked. This guy said exactly what I needed to hear. At the end of his prayer, he said, Now go. Right after he finished his prayer, I felt so much peace. I turned and saw Mason, who was also standing at the altar, not far from me. His hands were folded in front of him, and his head was bowed. I made my way over to him, and I gently put my left hand on his right shoulder, and I started praying over him. And I felt comfortable. I wasn't scared when I was done. I looked at him. His eyes seemed to be a bit watery. He smiled and said thank you. Over the next two nights of camp, I continued to pray for a lot of other people, and a lot of them came up to me afterwards and thanked me. That confidence and courage that Keith Keith prayed over me that night hasn't left me since then. I can now say that I used to have social anxiety, 
And I find it funny when I tell people this, that I've met in the past year at college, because they're all pretty surprised. They're even more surprised when I say I went from having really bad social anxiety to five days later having no social anxiety at all. It's crazy how much you can learn about yourself in a week. I know I'm not the same person that I was yesterday because every day I change and I grow. Jason, growth is real, man. That's actually, I love to hear it. God's got your back. Um, Do you ever look back and think of what would have been different had Keith not prayed for you that night? I do a lot, and um, I feel like maybe someone else would have came up and prayed for me, but that uh, week at camp, a lot of my friends were trying to step out of their comfort zone and pray for other people, so I felt like I wasn't the only one that was struggling with that, and it was cool to see my friends also trying to do the same thing. Yeah, um, my question for you, I guess, kind of directed towards Keith as well. What Have you ever reached out to him and talked about how this impacted you, or did you guys grow closer after? Um, well, since I had just graduated and I didn't go to that church very much <coughs> afterwards, um, because, you know, I moved uh, here to Arden Hills, um, I did talk to him after camp and had uh, reached out to him and just thanked him about that, but it was really nice to talk to him after the fact and like tell him how much of an impact he had on me. Here is Juella and her story called Happy 19th Birthday. I sit in a lumpy, lopsided lobby chair next to a man who carries more hurt in his deep brown eyes than I have ever seen in another human being. We are both blankly staring at large wads of paper in our laps. The nurse at the front desk asked me if I need help, ignoring the man next to me. Did she ask me that because I'm the white one or because I'm 18? Maybe I just look confused because I don't quite understand what I'm doing at the hospital right now. My heart rate is normal. 90 beats per per minute, no fever, 98.6 degrees, and I fit perfectly into health chart of my BMI. Huella? They never say my name right. My mom should be with me. She hasn't left my side since I told her. But of course, through the same spreading virus that took my uncle's life and high school graduation, she was forced to wait in the parking lot. My thoughts travel back to the sad man next to me. Why is he here? Does he have a family? Is he homeless, or does he just prefer wearing clothes that don't fit him? I get up from my lopsided position and give the hurting man next to me a soft, remorseful smile. He was here first. He should have been helped first. My heart hurts even more for him than it does myself, even though I know we are both filling out the same forms. A.K.A. My mom hasn't left my side in 28 hours because she doesn't want to lose her only daughter to suicide. I meet with a nurse, a doctor, and a social worker, and all of them say the same thing. You need to admit yourself to inpatient care. 24-7 surveillance sounds like jail. It's more like a really, really strict college dorm, almost similar to Bethel's Getch dorm. No windows, and smells a a little like a mixture of low hygiene teenagers, tears, and dust. Psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, doctors, pastoral care, individual counseling, group therapy, two new happy pills to take, and even music therapy. We had to sing a song to the other about how our hearts were feeling. Singing to the beat of Twinkle Twinkle about such dark thoughts felt strange to me. The people I met created a specific itinerary to offer the best help I can get. Happy birthday, Huella! The nurse that will never know it's pronounced Juella shows me her dimples and lipstick-stained teeth as I approach my mom, still waiting in the parking lot. This birthday isn't the best, but I'm alive and I'm proud of myself for that. Grandma and Grandpa are coming over for cake and gifts tonight, if that's okay with you. 
My mom rambles on about how we are going to make this the best year and birthday as we drive down 35W, but I again find myself tracing back to the man next to me. I wonder if he had to sing Twinkle Twinkle. I don't know, he seems more like a Humpty Dumpty kind of guy. This is a story about sad men and smelly dorms, about normal heart rates and unsafe thoughts. This is a story about the week that saved my life and showed me that a lot of change in such a short amount of time can happen with the help from the right people. That's such a good story, Joella. Um, did this experience imp- impact you immediately, or did you realize later what it really meant to you? Yeah, good question. Um, so I talked about it briefly, but they did change a medication that I was on prior, and it was actually really, really cool to me. The simple change of just a pill had an immediate effect on me, mm-hmm. and um, it helped a lot. And then other than that, as I was leaving, I remember thinking, like, this is weird because I'm so me like how I came in here like at such a low spot and now I'm in this like weird middle spot it felt like um but then the next couple weeks after that there was just so much growth and like so much change in my life just from such a simple I mean a simple hospital visit and it helped a lot so it was like immediately there was a small change that I recognized and then afterwards it was like whoa that was a lot like I was proud of myself (laughs) that was kind of it was a good good thing to talk about I think mm-hmm. um, my question is what was it like when you realized that everyone struggles like what did you take away yeah that is an awesome question so a little backstory when I was in the hospital I had a roommate and she was struggling with uh, schizophrenia and she when I first met her seemed like this like total normal upbeat happy person and then seeing her struggle kind of put my story into perspective for me because I felt like it was really eye-opening that all these different kinds of people were together for the same reason that they needed help and it was interesting that we were all different but we all were getting help and it was all helping even though it might not be the same process it's going to look different it was really really reassuring and it helped me to realize that like it's okay to ask for help in a way. Next, here's Austin and his story called The Chances of Loss. I sat relaxing next to the cinder block fire pit in my backyard with my three dogs. My Yorkies, Cricket and Tucker on my right, and Bentley, my Australian Shepherd lab mix on my left. Cricket and Tucker got too close to the fire, enough to where I had to pull them away so they wouldn't get hurt. It was a very peaceful night. The birds flying overhead against the quickly darkening sky, my dogs and I listening to quiet music, The song at the time was Hey Bartender by Lady A. The music paused because I got a text. I shot my head around and waited to hear who sent it. It was from my close friend. The text read, Hey Stino, I love you man, but I can't keep doing this anymore. I'll see you on the other side. This friend was the same person who motivated me to take life by the horns and to take chances. Even once, he impacted me greatly in the middle of the biggest 800 meter race of my career. I wasn't in a good position when I got to the hardest section, but I heard his voice. Take that chance, bud. You got it. That was all I needed. I put my head down, took a chance, and pushed. I finished second. He was at the finish line, and while I was sweating and heaving, he hugged me. That meant everything. But this text. The smile on my face sank into shock. Alarms went off in my head. I got a little weak in the knees and fell to the grass. I had no idea what to do, but I knew I had to do something. 
Slowly, I backed away from the fire and ran to my car. I sped over to his house. The gut feeling I was acting on was more important than the speed limit. I got to the house, and his front door was locked, as to be expected. I went around the back to head in through the sliding door, which was usually unlocked, and I went in. I checked a few rooms until I got to his bedroom, and I walked in, and his closet door was cracked open with some light leaking into the room. I went to the closet and opened the door. What I saw was nothing short of horror. The guy who spoke into me to keep going in my life, ready to end his. Terrified, I took the biggest chance of my life. I rushed over and wrapped my arm around him to keep him from letting himself drop. I called 911 with my free hand. I tried using my words to impact his life like he did to me, and thank God it worked. But while I saved him, our bond was broken. Because I took that chance, I was the one who kept him in his suffering. He didn't know what was coming for him, though. And neither did I. That night was the very last night I saw him in person. His family moved away to avoid the stigma. So I saved and lost a friend in one fell swoop. But now three years later, I occasionally see Facebook updates from his parents. He's almost out of college, killing it, making strides in his personal life. Now here I sit, praying from a distance while I sit at the fire in my backyard with four dogs. We got a new puppy named Rio, who sometimes gets too close to the fire. I have to make sure he doesn't burn himself. This is a story about the night I took a very big chance while being afraid to step into a life. The life of my friend who taught me to take chances even when you are afraid. That's such a great story, Austin. My question for you was, how long did it take you after you received that text to actually like, get to your car and process what it really meant? I think it was less than two minutes. I had this very intense urge to just go before realizing what the text actually (laughs) meant. I just had a very bad vibe and I didn't like it. So I figured it's better to start now and go than to be too late. Yeah, thanks for um, telling us this story, Austin. My question is kind of similar to that, but more um, looking at it from a bigger picture. That is obviously a very traumatic thing. And my question is, how did you take care of yourself after that? And how did you do your healing process after going through that? So around the same time, I was going through mental health struggles of my own. So I knew where he was coming from. And that definitely lightened the blow. But the main thing that I did was just lean on close friends that I had, lean on my parents, lean on just kind of the counselors in my school, my pastor, just taking the load off of my shoulders as much as possible and diving into what I thought I was passionate about at the time. Um, kind of the biggest thing would be to forget about it immediately so that you can reflect on it later on. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's cool how when we struggle, community just like surrounds us in those moments. It's really special. What have we learned today? One thing I learned today is how important other people really can be when we're struggling. Um, in all of our stories, we all learned something from other people and we all uh, were able to help other people in certain ways um, after dealing with stuff that we're dealing with. Kind of similar to that. I feel like I learned everyone has a story and it's so easy to walk past these people every day and 
to see everyone just looking like their life is perfect and they haven't gone through hard things, but in reality, everyone has. And I, it kind of inspires me to like really reach out to people and want to know them deeper. Mm-hmm. I agree with both those. I would also add, you never really know what somebody's going through. Right. So any, any action, small, nice action could completely turn around somebody's story. So. We want to thank some people for helping us out on this Modern Story podcast at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Thanks to Professor Chris Schaffner and his teaching assistants for maintaining the podcast studio and giving us access to it. Thanks to the writers such as Aaron Baker and Soraya Kaiser who inspired our stories. And we should also thank each other for our edits. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Joella. Thank you, guys. And lastly, go tell your grandma. Your therapist. Your cat. Ross the boss. <laughs> Your RA. Go tell Gita. <laughs> uh, about modern stories.